0: In Unforgettable Learning we talk to L&D visionaries, experts and mavericks about performance, creativity and tech. In this episode I discuss human-centered cybersecurity with Kerry Jones, Lego's cybersecurity specialist. So hi Kerry, absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's great
0: to be here. Well, it's lovely to see you. And I'm so excited that we're going to be talking about human centred cybersecurity, which isn't something I'd necessarily kind of put together before, because cybersecurity tends to get a bit of a bad reputation, doesn't it? And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really excited to see how we bring the human side to all of that. But look, let's let's hop into this, this human centred um, cybersecurity concept. Can you tell me what what does that mean? What's your sort of background in this? what does it mean and and why is that important to kind of what you're what you're doing at the Lego
1: group? Yeah so um, I have a background doing things like web design and i t support so i' had a background in technology, but one of the things that's always been deeply apparent to me is how do people use the technology that's in their environment which differs to what people expect. So most people who are in IT support or um, security professions, what have you, have this perfect view that this is the situation people are in. This is how they all use computers. And this is just what needs to change or what needs to happen. And it's straightforward from then on. But in actual fact, it's, it's it's not that straightforward. And actually, there's a lot of complexity that we miss. So one of the reasons for looking at the human within the security conversation is to think actually who is security really for what is the purpose of all of this these security rules the technologies that exist and so forth because if we're not making security suitable for people and for the lived experiences of people within a workplace at home or what have you then what advantage is there i mean otherwise it's just a security professional being able to tick off a list done but i mean that doesn't really add security might add um, some sort of false sense of security to people, but real security is about how do we engage people in a way by appreciating their everyday tasks. So instead of laboring on the point, well, you should just be able to do these things, is to really stop for a moment and reflect. Is the thing possible? Are our expectations realistic? and can people do the things that we expect and often those things are never thought about we will give people these titles of being a human firewall or this and that well, have we always make it about technology Is that actual... thing? sorry sorry what <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> who says that <laughs> no genuinely you will if you were to look at anything in cybersecurity um to do with people often they use that phraseology to But what it does is it makes people, again, look like and need to be like technology to be able to operate within it. But it's not at all. To be human centred is to appreciate people, to be able to see people where they're at, to uh, take into consideration, like I said, their lived experience, their the work and to build their confidence and capability in the topic, but whilst also being really pragmatic and realistic, because you can't do all things at once. And to do that, you need to try and change. So the the, the thing that I look at a lot in this space is changing the way that we view security. So there's been security has been around for a long time. There's been these built up preconceived ideas of what security should look like, what it needs to be, for example um but a lot of it is about challenging that because it's always coming back to but who is this really for what is the purpose of this and does it actually give you what you expect and if you don't know how to answer those things then you're going to you're going to stumble realistically
0: well i i love what you're saying and i'm thinking that if we just kind of get get to that point of the human centered bit are you saying that oftentimes the human-centered bit is left out because we have these preconceived ideas about how people do or should interact with their technology. And it almost becomes a frustration when people don't do the things we think that they should, rather than flipping it round and saying, but let's look at what people really do, how they really interact with things and design for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and this is the this is the thing. Like I said, with the imagery that we have, we always try and make people into these what they what is classed as like an asset in a system. They can just move around, and it, it doesn't really matter that they don't have thoughts or feelings or what have you going on in a day. That maybe struggles and what have you that they're, they're, that things are just possible because I say them out loud. And that is just isn't true, that we live in a complex world and lots of information around us all of the time. People make decisions for very particular reasons. And it's not to say that anything is wrong with those, but it's to learn how to appreciate that those um, those difficulties do exist. How do we plan for it? How do we consider it? How do we make decisions about it? So we're not shocked. and I think that's one of the things that has always what surprises me still to be fair even in this world people are still shocked by this and they're just like but you're a person too you know that you don't follow all of the security rules and you're a security professional for example so what chance do you think other people have let's be honest and let's be really transparent about it and focus on making things possible for people looking at the positives instead of terrifying them to death let's break it down and think actually It doesn't need to look and feel this way. There's no rules around a lot of this stuff on um, how it needs to come across to people. Um, So let's try something different. And it's why one of the things like being at the Lego Group, for example, they're massive on obviously on creativity. So that's what I try and bring into the spaces. Just have some creative thought and just to try and challenge that norm that exists. Um, Because thinking about people.
0: Well, let, let's talk about um, your work at Lego then. So, what's your remit, and how does this kind of human centred approach, and I guess particularly in, in learning and uh, experiences for performance and uh, behaviour change, kind of come into it in your in your work?
1: So, one of the things with the work that I do is, like I said, a lot of it's focused on like awareness raising and all of that normal stuff that you hear. Um, and it can look and feel very, very similar. But a lot of actually a lot of the work that I do at the moment is focused on working with the security professionals themselves and getting them to challenge their own mindsets to how they view people so we can engage people differently. Because I don't do all of the communications I'm doing the training currently and setting all of that up. But there are people that need to communicate. It's not just me, for example. So how do we um, embed a more open mindset to people and learn to listen um, and hear people? And if they have struggles, take that on board and build that process kind of into things instead of just believing, well, I've just told you one thing. So now you can change your behavior because that never works. And I do have the thing about I don't use the terms, for example, changing behavior. I don't use the words to, to describe activities is easy or simple so there's certain language as well that considered to be it's not helpful because i can't for example i can't determine somebody else's ease or simplicity i don't know if they're going to find it easy or not what i can do is hopefully break it down to a point that makes it possible and that's what i hope with the work that i do is to bring that mindset in um into the lego group
0: can you give give us some context so you know just some basics roughly how many people are you communicating cyber messages to
1: so the communication so the cyber security well it's called digital security um and it looks after the cyber security um we did in the lego group um and the remit is from the work that i do all lego stuff um okay. and so, global. so that is global so it's about 26,000 people um, so that's quite a lot yeah. So you're operating
0: on these messages at scale?
1: Yeah yeah exactly and this is one of the things especially um, one of the other factors because I've moved from the UK to Denmark one of the other things that, I, that has helped um, me is the consideration that Actually, a lot of people that read your messaging will be second language English speakers. So because I've had the thinking about plain English and how do you adapt to people and consider people, making that um, change, I think, has kind of helped in this transition because I think it would be quite a shock if you weren't able to consider actually just because you say it like that doesn't mean that's how it translates to somebody else and how do we consider the words we use more carefully because one word in honestly words in english can mean completely different things to other people in as it's their second language so how do we stay on top of that and one of the ways is to try and take out a lot of the extra that English has for no apparent reason to try and be really straightforward and just tell people what you expect and to be really honest about the fact that it will take you time give some examples and um, help people and then think about it more as you're you were there to support other people to do their job so if they need to know this how do you break that down into manageable chunks for them.
0: So this is your,
1: um, one of
0: the things I sort of sense about you and and think is is a really important passion is your commitment to engaging learners and people, you know, people. That's the absolute heart of everything that you're doing. And it sounds like you've got some techniques for doing that. And I know that you've spoken before about language and the importance of of language. Mm -hmm. Tell me a bit bit more about that then.
1: So... One of the things that you often hear about security, cybersecurity training or cybersecurity in general is that it's dull and that it's not interesting. And you, and I, I've reflected on that a long time. Like I said, I've been in this space for a while. And you think, why, why is that? When you look around and when you look at messages from all of these different companies who try to do different things, but when you get to read them and see it for what it is, it looks and feels the same doesn't look and feel any different. And don't get me wrong, there aren't that many messages in cybersecurity that overly change because the messages that were true 10 years ago are still mostly true today. So there is an issue of, yeah, there is a lot of repetition. But Like what? What there... would be one, for example? Oh, so the thing around... Um, Password habits, so making sure that you use um, better passwords and things like that. Um, how you store devices. So in organizations, there's things around classification. When there is um, information around, um, there are how to deal with um, like social media, for example, um, and so forth. If you look at those messages and things like even just like user password manager, that's been around for quite a long time, in actual fact. Um, when you look at those messages, they generally always read the same. They use the same tactics. And people, it's, not that they actually, it's probably not that they overly find them dull. A lot of research, so I used to do research in my previous jobs, and a lot of research actually shows that they just find it common sense. So they think they're already doing it. And I don't know if they are or not. But if they feel they are, then it's, it's not about engaging people as if. They don't know. It's about looking at it from engaging people as if they already know. And if they've already got some knowledge, how do you tell them something that looks and feels kind of similar but not the same? Because you probably have slightly changed your message, but they're not experts. They can't differentiate the nuance and the subtleties in the messaging. So they can't see what that change is. And then people get really frustrated. Why aren't they just doing these things? Because it should just be done type of language, people say. And they and security professionals also get fixated on that themselves. So that influences the way then they engage because they have this mindset too. So it's kind of just like butting heads a little bit. But realistically, the way that they consider it is, again, there aren't any rules. A lot of cybersecurity messaging will tell you up front, you're a risk because you are the reason that an organization is vulnerable. So to mitigate you, what I expect you to do is all of these things. And what it will do then is generally list them all out and it will be probably 10, maybe 20 things. And then people are then overwhelmed seem just like, whoa, 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 what? And then nobody really checks if all of those things are actually possible either. So there'll be a list of perfect answers, but most organizations operate through legacy systems over time that have grown. And though that perfect path doesn't overly exist for the majority of people. So even if they were to try and do the things that you tell them, they will often get stuck. And so they stop trying. So what people have done is created this worldview for themselves. And so we need to re-engage in different ways to um, take part in that worldview, not to tell them anything's wrong, not to give them the bad impression or anything like that, is to Somehow, not that I have all of the answers, but to somehow think about it as actually, like I said, you 're an adult, you have a world already that you 've um, created, but we 're going to tell you something in addition to it to add to you may, you might change something because of it, or you might just add this element in in, in the next task that you do, for example, but um, but it's viewing it in that sort of way instead of just thinking well there's one thing I expect you to do, and then there's a perfectly linear relationship to you doing it because that doesn 't work for people at all, and it's not really considerate to their needs
0: i'm so interested in the kind of uh, subtlety of the innovation that you've you you know advocate for here because. So many interesting things in what you're saying. One is that human behavior is non linear. We are kind of irrational. Sometimes we're unpredictable. We don't necessarily follow the course of. of uh, behavior to the letter as we should. We're subject to emotions and environments and circumstances, and that plays a role. I-, I love the way that you're suggesting to treat people as grown-ups, and that you acknowledge fully that everybody has a pre-existing worldview. I'm really fascinated by the kind of unlearning that may have to go on there, or the modification of behavior. This isn't a new thing. We're telling you this is something. This is a, this is a design problem. That's you know been going on for a long time, you you may know this information maybe from 10 years ago or from a different job or a different context. So yeah. I love that you really engage with that and that you found things that don't work. Um, and what about this idea then that, you know, behaviour change, we, we, we clearly in this scenario want people to operate in a secure way, to be, to mitigate their own behaviour, to protect the organisations and themselves. What what do you mean when you say you don't like to kind of support or or you rally against behavior change? That feels controversial. I love it. <laughs> Tell me why you say that.
1: <laughs> so it it does so it does shock a lot of people. Um I've actually uh, written a blog about it which got quite a lot of comments and so forth. Um because I just think it's really important that that being really pragmatic about life. I mean We've known for a very long time smoking kills. Do people stop smoking? No. We know that we're meant to eat all of the vegetables to make ourselves healthy so we can avoid certain illnesses and so forth because that's the way to live a healthy life. But we still eat chocolate, we still eat sweets, we still have all of these things. That's because all of these elements are complex because in the world, I'm a human being and I can make the decisions I want to make. And most people don't like to be told what to do. So the one thing you do to change behavior is not to tell them what to do because then people rally against it because they don't feel they need to. So the reason I don't use that word is because there's so much preconceived idea of what is changing behavior. Now, I've worked with lots and lots of psychologists in this space. Like I said, I've done research. And don't get me wrong, there's lots of elements from behavior change that can be used. But when you use the term in a workplace, when people don't have that nuance, they're not psychologists um, and they don't have the nuance because they've never read around it or they may have read one book or what have you. It can get misused um, and it gets misused because then it becomes a term term. Instead of thinking about it as the actual actions that need to happen and resourcing it and considering actually what does behavior change need, what we do is we t- determine, it, determine it as a thing that can just happen because I've said it can, because I've written it on a strategy, because I've written it on um, OKRs or whatever it may be that your organization does. But that what that does is it makes it then a goal of yours and you're fixated on the behavior change instead of fixating on the idea of actually what it means to support people. And it creates this kind of weird narrative in people. Well, it's about behaviour change, is it though? Because I don't need them to change. What I need people to do is to be able to take on information, be able to hopefully, if the if it works, hopefully do the thing that I'm asking them to do. And then that's it. I don't need them to change. I just need them to do the thing. Is that
0: not okay? Is that not behaviour change though, or is it is it is it or is it just action taking? Is there a difference it's, in semantics? Yeah, I or? would
1: say over time it will become behaviour change. But in that moment, it's not. I would say over a period of time, you will influence somebody's behaviour once they find it easy, once it becomes part of their natural processing, and it becomes more of a habit and all of those things. Then, yeah, of course, you're going to create in somewhat straightforward path for them. But that takes a lot of time, that takes a lot of investment, that takes a breaking down quite a lot of barriers to how to consider, like I said, the processes and the technologies and so forth. So there are lots of other elements that are unseen. But when you hear the word behavior change, it gives this idea of, a like I said, a linear relationship. If I tell you something, you will change. And that just simply isn't true because there's a whole mess in the middle that gets forgotten. And it's one of the reasons, especially in awareness, for example, um, and security training, that it's often very under-resourced because people... Put this down to well, you're just telling people stuff. So that's really straightforward. And you're just like, whoa, is that it. A, it's not that straightforward to just tell people. And B, there's a whole complexity in a workplace that you have to kind of decouple. Um, and I have a, so an example. Of, I like I've worked in places and seen. For example, you'd think that telling somebody to report phishing would be easy. I hate that word, but I'll say it in this, in, in this moment. You think that would be an easy task for the average person. That they, you can, they can just do that. There's a button, for God's sake, on the actual email. Really? I mean, what's stopping you? But I've worked in places where you're like, why is the report rate lower? And how do we work with that? To, because people are mildly obsessed with report rate. Like, that's better than click rate. But I won't go into that. <laughs> um, but people now want another metric of people reporting. So great. I'll look into it. Let's see. what Follow the logic flow of it. Um, in actual fact, yeah, there is a report button, but there's also, I have come across four other email addresses that also allow you to report. So people, one the report use? button only, <laughs> exactly. And of course, because these things get added over time, those emails existed for longer than the report button. So when they pressed, typed in like report or something, because they'd created that habit, the email address pops up. So they just go with that email address and send. They think they're doing something perfectly legitimate, which it is. They're doing the thing that we've asked them to do. But in our reporting statistics, because those emails aren't owned or aren't run in the same way anymore, who knows if anybody's even at the other end of them, they don't take part in then our normal statistics. So our reporting can look lower. But realistically, their action is perfectly, perfectly good. There's nothing. I can't tell They've them done they're the wrong. they the
0: thing that they were trained to do <laughs> just in the past. Exactly. Okay. Well, I mean, that that's, that's fascinating, isn't it? Because, again, it comes back to this, um, what behaviours do I need for me to succeed in work today versus what I used to do or what actions do I need to take now? And I guess what you said earlier about helping people kind of uh, augment what they already did with, and perhaps modify slightly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's a really great example of how you could you could share you could share that with someone. Um, yeah. I, I was I was also kind of curious about. Uh, I, I got a phishing email the other day, and when I sort of figured it out. I felt really proud of myself, <laughs> and I sent it off to an IT guy, and I was like, "Hey, is this is this a phishing one?" And he said, "Yes." And I thought, "Well done, me! I'm cleansing the world of spam phishing." Um, but that's alerted me to this kind of psychological factor around cybersecurity and cyber hygiene, and and just what we what we attach how we attach value um, to certain things. And I wonder if you could tell me anything about the sort of psychology of cybersecurity and perhaps using passwords as an example?
1: Yeah. So one of the things, like I said, I talk about language. And the reason I talk about that is because of the the psychology that exists when you use particular words and you determine your whole worldview on the language that you see around you. So if you're using things like threat and vulnerable, it doesn't really put you in the best state of mind because it's quite knee-jerk. It's quite negative, And you're visceral reaction, your body reaction, you have this fight or flight thing. And a lot of people feel very stuck and they don't know what to do. And in cybersecurity we really don't help with that because what we do is we use particular words. And one of the things that I find fascinating and something I can speak at extreme lengths about, um, annoyingly to a lot of people, is passwords. And one of the reasons for that is, is because when you look at passwords, when you look at training, a lot of training has this is um, they'll give you a list of passwords and tell you that these are weak this that what have you or they tell you that you have a weak password and now you need a strong password and all of these sorts of things and I've thought about it a lot and obviously the work that I've done with the um, academics that I've worked with and so forth in universities and consider that point what does it mean to tell people that their stuff is weak. Because we know that people feel a relationship to things that they create. They feel more value in the things that they create themselves. So if you're constantly telling people the thing that they created a password, because often it's out of their mind, it's something to do with them, something that they relate to, to make it memorable. If we're then calling it weak, are we actually undermining the effort. We're undermining people just generally because they have put effort in. They've tried at least. And now you're telling your trying isn't good enough. In a natural fact, it's weak. It's not good. Um, and now you need to change because you need to be strong. And that has a knock-in effect. That has impact. And there are a number of um, articles that are written around passwords. There's one from the New York Times called The Secret Life of Passwords about people's <laughs> about people's um well it starts off about talking about nine eleven and nine eleven and how they had to kind of hack into the servers to get access to um wall street because obviously with the disaster that happened at nine eleven they couldn't get access as normal so they had to they had to break into the password break the into the service by using um guessing the passwords basically and they did that by knowing um and talking to the family and knowing personal lives so what would they use as a password if it was favorite football team or something like that um, and so the the person who wrote the article then goes on to speak about the relationship people have with passwords And this was written along this was written in like 2014 but it's still true now because people still use passwords that they have created themselves um, and people often want to share passwords with you and i've done interviewing with people and they genuinely if i ask them about passwords the first thing somebody will say you if you interview them about passwords is do you want to see mine do you want to know mine can i share it with you because
0: they're feeling that because they created it they feel it's valuable it's it's clever it's something personal it's something they've created
1: i've had all of those so when the when i've interviewed people for for example um it was often just to double check their logic to make sure (laughs) that what they had thought i okay, are telling you, isn't that breaching the whole, is that not <laughs> the whole point? Well, so most of them are just telling me the logic that they use. Like oh, The I actual see. password itself okay. was, was interesting because okay. I was a random person out of nowhere. But this guy um, from the article, he speaks to people he knows as well um, and they trust him more. So they're more willing to give up their passwords. And one of the things that he speaks about is then the, the life of a password because Again, the words have meanings. If you've used your, I don't know, your favorite pet's name that died 20 years ago, to somehow then determine that to be bad or what have you, is not straightforward. And it doesn't put people in the best mindset to ad- adopt a new um, activity, to do a different thing. Um, it puts them in a state of feeling between a rock and a hard place. They have no way to actually cope with that information. So one of the things that's really important is to give people that appreciation. They are human beings who live in a life, who have multiple things going on. So be kind and listen and think, it isn't about me. Security information isn't about what I can tell people and how how best to tell them. It's about how do I make sure that other people feel that they can read it, that they can take part in it, even if they don't even do the action, at least they've had a nice experience in reading something a bit different for this five seconds, ten minutes, whatever however long it may be, at least they feel good. So when they then re-engage at whatever point it may be, whenever they're say creating a new password, just keep that one going, creating a new password, they may remember the experience this time. They may remember the feeling and think, oh yeah, actually that's what that was about. I'll do that instead. So you create that connection with people instead of create exactly a positive connection instead of creating this distance away from people
0: instead of using speaking into the fear of cyber frightening characters it's about empowerment empowerment and, and the positive uh, there's a lovely example that i uh, read about which was a guy who says he changed his life through his password and um what it, what happened was he was i think he was going through a, a divorce and um he came into work one day and he was very frustrated and, and depressed and it's computer popped up you know you you need to change your password happened every month and he remembered that um a colleague of his had said, "You know, why don't you use it as a kind of a to-do list? You know, put that in there." And, he, and so what he then did was he started to sort of create little mantras for himself. And the first one was "forgive her," which was to his yeah. ex-wife. And then, uh, and then suddenly, because he had to type this into his computer like two, three times a day, he, he he started to feel better. And he and he used this over and again. He did it to quit smoking, so his password became "quit smoking," and he did. And then he used it to save up for a holiday in Thailand. So it was, you know, save for. Thailand, you know, was this password. I was just really stunned by the idea that we can use something like as simple as a password to kind of transform our everyday behaviour because it's a kind of reinforcing mantra. Do you believe in that? Is this possible? Is this kind of conceivable to you?
1: Yeah. So, um, it, so I, I read the article you sent, and I did. It. I thought it was really, a really lovely and really illustrative um Story, and it really shows. So there's a there's an academic, and his name is B. J. Fogg, and he's known for his be, um, behavioral model. But one of the things he's also written a book called Tiny Habits. So one of the things that is in the book Tiny Habits is actually creating that kind of mantra to kind of you have to feel it to believe it, and to to, be, to feel it to believe it, then you will do it as such type of thing. Um, And um, because you have to create the right sort of motivation to make you do the behavior, which is why behavior change is difficult. Anyway, we'll go back to that. But the, but the story, that story itself is actually really reminiscent of um, the tiny habits book from BJ Fogg about um, using, like I said, as that article writes really small, what seems like non non intrusive, really light, activity to reinforce. um, And that really helps fixate things in the noise that we have all through the day where we're easily distracted. Something that's repeatable like that um, can help and it creates that habit. And over time, those habits become embedded and they actually create change. But again, it takes investment and time. And it does take resource and a thought for it. So it's not just like I said; it's not to say that behavior change is impossible, but it's the appreciation of how it can be done. Um, and to me, often with behavior change, managers, seniors, executives, whoever have been missold something. But to say it's possible, absolutely. And that article is a good example of that for sure. Um, I've got a couple more questions
0: for you. You've reminded me speaking about the challenge of change and kind of not really behaviour, but, you know, talking about activities that people can do to keep themselves protected. What would be your thoughts on, um, you know, uh, performance support, as it might have once been called, you know, learning in the flow of work, prompts, world prompts in our flow, in our day that can improve or enhance our security awareness? Or do you think that this is something that, needs, that requires recall at the point of need and therefore needs to be learned?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So there are lots of different... So I see different versions of that. Um, and I was talking about it with somebody here, actually. And one of the things that they said to me was they don't want it to become annoying. So I get that you can... Somewhat interrupts them these days just to remind them to do something. I've worked in places that that happens. It is a mild irritation, but it's fine. But I think it really depends on the culture of the workplace, of what's acceptable, because a lot of people feel that they have, if they work in a workplace where it's quite autonomous, where they get to do what they want, to interrupt people in their flow can distract them from all of the tasks that they're doing. And the productivity loss can be quite a lot um it's one of the reasons why a lot of like security advice often will state think before doing everything but really if you can't think before doing everything otherwise you'd <laughs> never get nothing done there's a reason why we um create stereotypes there's a reason why we do the things Mental we do, shortcuts. Like, yeah absolutely exactly. <laughs> we can't do everything so there is the idea that um by nudging people in that sort of way that that should Achieve something, but there is a way of nudging people well and then nudging people badly. (laughs) And and let's go with ineffective, absolutely. And so, um, but some of it can be detrimental to people because it isn't done well. And the reason I say that is because a lot of people have watched a lot of talks around that sort of topic and what have you. And it's like they've read the first page and not the rest. But there is a ramification in the idea of the ethics with regards to the impact that you have on people. Um, And again, people are not the puppets to your show. They are people trying to do a job and they're employed to do their job not to be security experts. So what is the right balance? And I think that consideration for the right balance has to be really well thought through because again, the flow of the organization, the interruption may cause this and that. And and I know I've worked in a job before where if you created an interruption, um, it had an impact on their their score for the day as such, because it was in a, a call center. Um, And that would impact their bonuses at the end of every week. So you have to be really considerate of what that would mean. And this is one of the things which makes it really hard sometimes is what does that mean for not all people that have the same job in the same way? And so is it that you can do it to certain groups of people where it would be more beneficial, say, to higher risk people that you may consider who work in risky positions like procurement or finance or what have you. And you can leave the rest of the organization to the side and let them get on with their everyday task. Or how do you manage that? So you can do those sort of things, but it isn't just to make it universally useful. It's not that straightforward to do, unfortunately. And that takes consideration on the impact to the productivity onto the person. And then actually what is the value gain? Because Do you have the right form of information that would produce the action that you're expecting? Um, Because a lot of people struggle to write into the positive. They make the actions long. Um, So it has to be thought through for sure. I I really appreciate your perspective
0: on that, because lots of people for a long time have said, you know, resources, not courses and kind of thrown everything out and. In terms of you know learning and and leaning into memory, you know because we want to get behaviour change, but we all acknowledge that it's difficult. Versus just sort of popping a prompt in front of people, and I think you've outlined there some really key and important considerations that perhaps I hadn't even thought about. You know the, of the impact of these things and how how not maybe hard, but how yeah maybe we need to give those things thought and do them well for it to be successful. Mm-hmm. On that on that note, then. In terms of kind of success and metrics, what would your views be on measuring the efficacy of a learning program that sort of sought to to get these messages across? What do you What do you feel about measurement in learning?
1: So oh, it's it's a really for me it's a really difficult topic because I don't want to lean into the idea that a number is true because just because somebody gets. on a test doesn't mean they're unknowing of something or what have you. could mean that they're distracted. They kind of always want to stay relatively open. It's more about looking at trends. And I think that's what a lot of the metrics actually allows you to do better is look at trends. Trends in the
0: learning or trends in behaviour after the learning?
1: So both. So it allows you to see the trends, A, in how useful your training is, whether people have got stuck at all at the same point, whether they struggle to answer the questions. Say if 90% of people only get 30% on the first try, there's obviously something wrong with your test, not the the fact that they don't know. That would be an unrealistic, we have to be really pragmatic and challenge our own self because we've made something that we don't probably like to know doesn't work. So we have to be really open to the fact of reflecting back, perhaps there's an issue, Um, just going through that and double checking or doing some pre-work with people of course to check um, your own logic Um, and so the metrics can be useful for our own learning as people who create training and the impact that it has and it can also give signifiers to areas that need extra attention as a result of um, the knowing whether it's worked now that is much much harder because just because i know things doesn't mean I do things. Um, And I know that. I'm a security professional. I know security. I know the actions I should take. Do I always do them? No.
0: But isn't that about measuring the actions rather than the knowledge? So therefore shifting where the data is collected, kicking it further away from the, let's say, learning intervention, experience, whatever it may be and measuring it at the point of application, which I imagine is quite challenging in cyber because when does it come? You know, it happens at random, any time.
1: Yeah, and it's it's something that a lot of people struggle with because they will read a statistic. They will say, well, you have this knowledge, so you should be doing it. And it's to be really cautious at that point because, again, there are blockers in organisations. So is that action that they know about? completely possible in the way that you expect so even if they want to sometimes they can't um, and how do you show that and tell that narrative is really important and you can do that in many ways but you have to as a person who does training you have to be really confident in what you're trying to prove and it's often looking at Marginal gains instead of this idea of wholesale change. So this is about showing, like I said, showing trends. You can do backups to the. So in my previous job, what we used to do after the training and so forth is to start to use polling. So just really generic, really generic, but kind of interesting questions that really didn't say too much allow people to just read and click to instantly answer yes or no or whatever the answer was to the question and it wasn't that there was a right answer that's what we were very determined not to do it wasn't about saying there was a right answer it was just about gathering thought and the process that people were actually what they were actually doing so for example one of the questions that we asked was around implementation of um, multi-factor authentication and there there were only like four options for example but what it also gave us was a sense of how people felt about it so after doing the training even though they were told about it and they were given all of the stuff that they would you would expect to have in some sort of training we then followed up with things to do with in the polling that was related so we could understand how also how people felt and if people felt positive or that they could do it then great and if they felt that they still lack something at least we could appreciate that and even if it's i mean training can't be forever so we have to approach that in a different way and do because training is more of a continuous thing and not in a once in a once in a lifetime just this moment so how do we make it more of a continuous learning experience instead but learning that through doing this polling Um, and that worked quite well actually We, we were starting to learn how people perceived and felt about the security instead of just looking about what they know about security as well and trying to marry those things together.
0: Well that kind of speaks right back to what we said at the beginning about human centered and this very holistic picture of people and you sound like someone who's deeply thoughtful about that and and really reflective on it and uh, designs programs and um, experiences that lean into that and also probably have a realistic appreciation for what's achievable. Um, Bearing in mind we're dealing with the muddly mess of human nature.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and to to be really, really uh, like up front and to realise there's a lot of training. Like it isn't just one piece of learning that somebody will do in their day often. It will be the fact. So I worked in the bank before. When I joined, I was a new starter. And within three months, I had to do 20 compliance courses. 20. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And you're just like, and then... Every quarter, because I had to do them all at once, weirdly, because I think at the time I joined. But um, normally then, the pattern was every quarter, there would be at least five training courses that would take between 15 minutes to 30 minutes. That's a lot of time.
0: Yes. Did you get anything from them? Now that you've left the bank, you can say honestly.
1: (laughs) Some. Some were interesting, some were, you could tell the ones that had been reworked and had worked with some learning and development people because they were slightly more thoughtful or because when we did the work when I was in the bank with the learning and development guys, the best thing that they ever said to me was we had an example, that example has been used six times this year are you sure you want to use that one and i'm like nope i'll change it
0: (laughs) (laughs) what for a scenario that was in there oh okay yeah no i mean people are kind (laughs) of pretty drilled on that one by now um we're nearly at the end of our time and i i just want to ask sort of one last thing which is that you know you meet somebody i don't know at a cyber conference, if you go to them, somebody in L&D who's trying desperately to make their kind of learning more human-centred in, in cybersecurity, what would be the sort of top advice that you would give them?
1: So, I know I probably said it a lot in this, but it is about thinking about positive language. And in that is to take out words that are actually not needed, like the word simple, like the word easy, um, things like that out of normal text that you read to make it relatively informal so that people can actually read it and to double check that and also to make it concise. So one of the things, for, um, especially in cybersecurity, that I definitely always tell people is why do we put at the top of pretty much anything you read in cybersecurity, for example, if they're talking about social engineering, this is what social engineering is before they tell you what you expect them to do. Nobody gets past the first paragraph. So why use that information first? If you want to tell them to do something or you want to tell them something of interest, or you think is interesting or they should be interested in, tell them this is of interest to them first.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so put the, put the action at the top Speak to the positive and, you know, make sure you're concise.
1: Yeah. In- and just you can add the detail in later. You they can read the rest if they're interested, but you don't need to put the detail at the top. Everybody. So most of the time what I do when I review work is literally just flip it. And do. so let's start with that. So let's have this at the bottom and let's go with that. Fantastic. I think lots of
0: people will feel reassured in their design decisions because of that, or maybe make some steps to assess their <laughs> assess their learning and development interventions in a new way. So, look, it's been so lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your time and all of your advice.
1: And uh, I hope that you've enjoyed your time here as much as I have. All right, thank you. And um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. It's been really enjoyable. I've enjoyed the conversation.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, Kerry. Take care.
1: Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.